Welcome to church, my family. Uh, we're so happy that you're here. So if you would stand and join us as we sing praises and look to the sun. Oh, we look to the Set our eyes on our Savior. 
Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 16 says honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and so that you may prosper in the land the Lord your God has given you amen now before we pray um, I, I think it's important we need to be careful as a nation I, I believe because it is easy to get to the point where this weekend is looked at as nothing more than a holiday week it's the start of the summer. It's the day that the families get to spend extra in their car before they go on their road trips. It's not. It's not a day to go and get better prices on your soda and hot dogs at the grocery store. It's not the day that you go out and buy a new large appliance because the interests are even cheaper during this weekend. This is the day that our nation has set aside to honor or remember uh, those who have given their life to service. So before we pray, let's, let's take a, a few moments and just bow our heads and, and uh, thank the Lord that there are people willing to put their lives on the line so that we had the freedom to come to this church and say we love Jesus. God, thank you for this nation. Uh, Lord, thank you for the men and women that are willing to serve. Uh, thank you so much for the men and women that are willing to make that sacrifice so that we have the freedom to be here. Lord, I ask you to bless the families of those who have lost loved ones in this service. Uh, Lord, I ask you that we can honor their memory. It's not just another day. It's not just a holiday. It's, it's a day that we can, we can honor their, their sacrifice. Thank you. Lord, I ask you to take this, this time that we have. Uh, allow us to lift you up, glorify you, praise you. God, thank you for being who you are. Jesus, and I pray. Amen. Hey, well, good morning, family. Hey, we're glad you're here. Uh, if you're watching online, we're glad you're here, too. Uh, just like we say every week, sometime during the service, please take a moment, fill out your connection card. Hey, if you're online, uh, we really appreciate you filling that out. Uh, otherwise, we, we came to church to praise God, so let's, let's get to it.
Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day when you came out of Egypt, 
out of the place of slavery. For the Lord brought you out of here by the strength of his hand. Nothing leavened may be eaten.
Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I can feel the winds, they try to shake me. I will not be moved. My feet are on the rock. I can feel the waters rise. And I can hear the howling lies that haunt me. Fear won't hold me down. My feet are on the rock. I feel my hope about to break I will cling to your unchanging grace Let the waters come and the earth give way I'll be dancing in the rain My feet are on the rock I can see the morning light the joy on the horizon Here my faith is found I stand on solid ground When I feel my hope about to On Christ the solid rock, I stand all on the ground in sinking sand. So stomp your feet and clap your hands, our feet are on the rock. On Christ the solid rock, I stand all on the ground in sinking sand. So stomp your feet and clap your hands, our feet are on the rock. When I feel my hope about to All right, I hope you guys are ready. 
Hey, we're going to be in Ephesians. If you've been with us these last few weeks, that is our passage we're going to be in. Uh, we're going to be in there all day. We're not going to read the whole chapter three times. We're going to divide it up a little bit. So Ephesians chapter three. I'll give you guys just a second to turn. A few more seconds. All right, we're ready. Ephesians chapter 3. Now, when you're, when you're done here, don't get rid of your, your scripture. We're going to come back to it, but we're going to divide the chunk into, in this, this chunk into three pieces. First part, chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his, body, uh, to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We're going to stop there, and we're just going to, we're going to look at some of these things. Now, I'm going to be honest, certain pieces of Paul's writing has always entertained me. Um, the way he starts this passage of Scripture to me is funny. Saying, I, Paul, am a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you. I don't know why that, that statement, every time I read that, it kind of makes me chuckle inside because I can envision Paul saying this out loud, saying, I'm in jail because of you. And I, 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 I smile, and then I think to myself, I'm like, Paul sounds like a parent to me. You know, I look at my kids sometimes, I'm like, my grocery bill went up 25% because of you. My car smells like dirty socks, and it's because of you. And I, I look at Paul, and I, I love the fact that he pointed this out. And it's, be, it's because it's one of those, those things, those small pieces of words that he carefully selected before he wrote that is really significant. So when he says these words, and there's two pieces in this small, small passage, and it says, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. We're going to stop there and skip down a little bit longer. It said right there in verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. I like those, I like those two small pieces because what he's doing is, is very parent-like, saying, I'm in prison because of you, and you get to know Christ Jesus who other generations didn't get to know. And he's, he's almost like he's telling a kid how lucky they are. And what this is, is it's so important. What, what he's doing is Paul is showing value to the Gentiles. So for the last week, I've been wrestling with this idea. And if something pops in your head after church, come tell me. I have been wrestling with the idea of where do we feel valued? Where do you go that you feel like you're important there? 
I, I've been struggling. There was years and years ago, I, I would go to this hotel and you'd walk in, they would treat you like a king, roll out the carpet. You want extra pillows? No problem. You want this great breakfast buffet? No problem. Then we, we went again recently and it was like I was nothing. And I, I think of how many times you go to a restaurant and, and you step in this restaurant and, and you actually feel like they don't want you there. Or you go to a place and, and they only want you there when you're, you're spending money that very second. I've been, really, I've been really struggling with where do you feel valued? Where do you go that someone looks at you and, and you actually go, they wanted me to be there. I've been to people's homes where I, I step in after they ask me to come and it's like they don't want me there and I'm like, why did you ask me to come to your house if you don't want me to be here? I don't, I don't understand. And I've been really struggling with this. Where do you feel valued? Where do you go that that you actually say, yeah, they like me there. They, they, really, they, really, they really like me there. I want to be there. Someone in the first service blurted out real loud, church! And I smiled and I thought to myself, sitting on stage, I thought, yeah, we, we should say that. But I, I applied to this really big church and they had this huge, huge program and I applied to be part of their staff and I, I went in uh, two days early to the interview to sit in their, their service and there were hundreds of people there. No one talked to me at all. No one looked at me, no one greeted me, no one smiled at me, and I barely had a seat. And I walked out, and then two days later I came back, and it, they smiled at me in the interview. And they talked about how, green, how, how warm and wonderful the church they are, and I thought, yeah, right. I didn't feel valued there. So we should say, yeah, we go to church to feel valued, right? We, we say that, but not always. And that's what Paul is doing here. And just these, these few short words saying, I'm a prisoner, because of you and i don't think it was i'm a prisoner because of you it was i'm a prisoner because of you he's saying you're so important i'd go to jail for you and i don't like that and then I, I start wondering where do we feel valued and then i start thinking there are so many churches and this isn't a criticism to church sometimes this happens oftentimes churches fall into one of two categories the first category is, is they start calling themselves a seeker-sensitive church. That means their entire mission is to go outside the church walls, and they want to reach every single person. That sounds honorable, right? We hear that and we go, yeah, that's, that sounds really good. The problem is, is when they focus 100% of their efforts on reaching the lost, those who haven't heard about Jesus, they do it and they neglect everyone else. Nothing else matters. The people that have been in the faith for years that come, that want to be part of this community, they don't matter. Or you take that on the opposite edge and you flip it 100 degrees. Then you have a church saying, I want to make sure we are catering to our saints. Whatever they want, we'll give them. The ones in the chairs, they're the ones that matter most. The ones outside don't matter. And so we have these churches that frequently go of one of two directions. Either outsiders only matter, the non-believers, the ones that haven't been introduced to Jesus, or the ones that are in the church. They matter. And the problem is, if you take either direction to the extreme, what you have is an unhealthy church. And I personally think, Paul, when you start looking at who Paul was, and the way Paul functioned, I believe if you asked Paul, and we'll see him in heaven, I believe Paul would tell us, I am 100% focused on reaching the lost. Which is why 
Paul always wanted to make sure that when he would go to an area and preach, when he stepped away from that area, he wanted to have people there in place, in positions to, to care for and nurture the believers. Because Paul knew where his focus was. Paul's focus was reaching the lost. That's what he wanted to do. That's where he wanted to reach. And he knew that if, if he would just do that, everyone else would have been neglected. And so I think Paul really worked hard to make sure that since he knew how focused he was, he wanted to make sure someone else was focused on the areas he was not. I knew this older gentleman, and he always did this prison ministry, and uh, he, he always wanted me to go on these prison visits with him, and he asked me all the time, and honestly, without a lie, I, I really wanted to go. I, I really wanted to go and be part of it. I, I thought that'd be a neat experience. But honestly, something inside of me, no, no lie, I, I was always afraid that if I got to prison to do a visit, they would find out that I'm some sort of criminal and not let me out. And I had a really hard time because I'm like, I'm afraid I'm going to go in there and I'm not getting out. And I, it wasn't, a, I, that's how it was. But what was interesting is this man did this for years and years and years. And, and uh, one time someone made the comment to him. They said, you know all those years you've been witnessing and ministering at the at the prison not one of those people have ever come to this church and he uh he came back he said yeah sometimes i'll go I'll, I'll do the prison and sometimes we play card games he said sometimes we actually read scripture he said sometimes i, I bring in my favorites i'll bring them a snack you know they're my they're my favorite ones to hang out with i'll bring them something good and he said you're right they don't they don't come he said but i don't want these people to go to, to prison and feel like they don't matter to the church just because they're in prison so he would go and he would simply he would simply minister to these people not not because they were going to come to church but because like paul what he was saying he's saying i value you and we're living in a time right now family and you know this most people don't feel like they're valued most people don't feel like they're important i went to a grocery store a while ago and it this is what they did. I waited in line, put my food on the conveyor belt. I don't like grocery stores. I get to my turn. My items are up to, to scan, and the girl does this number. Let me give you a proper definition of what went on. Oh, I was so angry. She gave me the wait finger to text someone. I'm like, are you kidding me? I am here to spend some money to pay your salary, and you stick your finger up to tell me to wait? And she didn't even say, hold on one second. Nope, I got the finger. Ooh, I was cranky. Or I go to a parts store to, to order parts, and I've been waiting in line and waiting in line, and I'm greasy, and I'm dirty, and I'm sweaty, and I want to get home, and they answer the phone in front of me, and they go, how can I help you? And I say, no, you can't help them. You help me. I've been here waiting. I don't feel valued. Where do you feel valued at? Here's the question this comes down to. Paul looked at the Gentiles and said, I'm in prison because of you showing how significant they are. Here's the question. How do you show people they are important and valuable to God? And this isn't a church question. This is a you question. I can tell you how I, I do. How do you show people they are valuable? That's only a question you can answer. I don't know what the answer is for you. I, I know there, there are easy examples. Uh, some people show value because they're a good listener. I know some people that show value to others. with They, they just have empathy. They can just really feel someone's pain. Uh, others are good at sharing the pain. I, I know a few that are, are very, very good at showing people value because they have been through a shared experience and they can, they can help someone else through. Or someone's good at just being there with time. 
They don't have anything to say. They don't have anything to contribute. But they make people feel valued because they have the time to invest in them. Or maybe you're, you're not necessarily that kind of person. Maybe you're a hands-on person. And the way you show people value is through your actions. You're good at certain things. We had a men's ministry years ago that would stay busy all summer long giving people tune-ups on their swamp coolers. They weren't in the house really talking. They were simply showing the individual's value by what they could offer them. So how do you, as a body of believers, how do you become a Paul in this situation? When Paul's saying, I'm in jail because of you, what is your statement? How do you do it? How do you look at someone else and say, you're important to me because you're important to God. I'm going to show you how. How do you do that? If you want, I can stand on stage for a long time and uh, give you examples on how to make people not feel valued, how to make people feel not important. I can do that. But to answer the question how you make someone feel valued, the only way to answer that is yourself. You've got to answer that. All right, let's read again. Verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light, look at these words right here, for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. It brings us to our, a very easy second point, and it, I, have to, I have to tread the line carefully here because people get really sensitive in this discussion, but what Paul is, is talking about is, is a word that we hear frequently now is equality. We hear equality all the time. Uh, it's, it's in all the headlines and all the stories. It's, it's equality, and it, this, is, this is a tough subject. And what Paul is doing here is, it's really neat. He takes a full paragraph, and you can summarize it with two basic things. First, he says, I am the least of all the saints. So he's saying, I'm not important, which is incredible for a leader to say, I'm not important. A, a leader always wants to feel significant. And then he comes out, and he uses that word to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. That everyone, if you took those words out, just that one word, if you just took out that word, everyone, it would be a whole other direction of this paragraph. Sometimes, very often, not very often, sometimes I feel bad for the, the Jewish people, the Hebrews. I feel kind of bad for them because here's, here's the, the Egyptian, the, the, I'm sorry, the, the Jewish people, they were rescued from Egypt. It was their God who got them out of Egypt. It was their God who parted the water. It was their God who brought them David and had this incredible conquest. It was their God who brought Solomon with all of his wisdom and riches. It was God. It was, it was the, the Jewish people who were going to have Messiah come from. Here's, here's the problem. They're, they were so used to being the favorite. They were so used to walking around saying, we are God's favored people. And I feel kind of bad because all of a sudden Jesus comes, and Jesus said all of God's people are important. All of God's people 
are valuable. And I come here not just to seek and save the Jewish. And here's Jesus. He's eating with tax collectors. He's sitting with sinners. He's eating with the people that had the Jewish people in captivity. Oh, man, I feel bad for him. It's kind of like, like a family with an only child. You've got a family with one kid, and I'm telling you, an only kid, they get the coolest birthdays, best birthday presents. They go on the best vacations. They get the best seats in the car. They get it all. And then this, this only child is having a good old time living. You know what those parents do? They go out and ruin it and have another kid. And everything was so good. Had my own room, had my own food, had my own birthdays, and this baby messed it up. I don't like that baby. That's what I kind of feel like here. Is here's these Jewish people, they're saying, hey, it's good. We are God's only kid. We are so good. And all of a sudden, Jesus messes it up and says, it's for everybody. And so we, we talk about this idea of equality. And so the Jewish people were so used to being favored. And you know, the, the problem is here is, you can't look at the news right now with, without some of these things. And my news feed is, is just, I'm bombarded with this idea because it seems like, you know, we talk about equality, but it doesn't seem like we have equality. It doesn't. Because it seems like frequently, let's say the court system, it says frequently, it seems to me that, that people are not treated the same in the court system. Especially if you have a very large wallet. It seems like oftentimes it's just not the same based on, on your financial situation in life or i've been on this kick recently and i i don't, don't want to get too murky on this but it seems like there is a certain crime that if one gender of people do it the punishment is more severe than when another gender does the exact same crime and i go wait the, the punishment is drastically different based on two different genders and i think that's that's not that's not a quality and so we talk about equality, but it's really difficult. A study came out several months ago, and I've been, I've been so excited. I just knew. I got this headline, I read this study, and I just knew. I knew God was going to give me an opportunity to discuss it because this study makes me so happy. I'm going to share it with you. There was a study done. It was a Swedish school studied, and they said they analyzed grades from before COVID and then during COVID, and it came to be that during the COVID school closures, especially in college level, attractive female students' grades went lower. It made me so happy. And I looked at that and I thought, aha, I knew it. So attractive females were getting higher grades from their professors within school attendance. And when they went remote learning where the professors couldn't see their students, their grades went down. And I was really excited until I, it dawned on me that I really struggled with school and I had bad grades. Does that mean the professors thought I was ugly? I mean, they were being treated different based on their looks. And honestly, family, we, we know the truth here. We, we treat people differently. The world treats people differently. It's, we want to say we don't, but we do. We, we look at people and we make these instant judgments. How they walk, how they talk, how they act, what they drive, what they're holding in their, their hand. Their hand 
We look at their shoes and we judge them. A long, long, long time ago, I wanted to, I wanted to buy this Porsche and they had a special. And so I went to the dealership because I wanted this Porsche because I was in a bad mood. And when you buy stuff, when you're in a bad mood, it never works. And I went in the dealership and I had just gotten off work, but my job had involved unloading semi-trailers. So I was just covered in filth. And they looked at me and I had the money for this car and they would not let me drive it. They said, you have to pay for the vehicle before you let you drive it. I laughed at myself, and I thought, that is ridiculous. I'm not going to buy a car. I, I can't drive, and I'm glad I didn't. The problem is they looked at me, and they judged me based on how I was wearing it. And, and honestly, family, we do that frequently, too. We look at people, and we make these quick decisions. We look at people, and we, we make these rash decisions. We have no idea who they are, where they've come from, their background. But here is the truth. And you ready for this? I believe the only real equality we will ever see is in Jesus Christ. The only real place we will always be equals is found in the blood of Jesus Christ because see, everyone, no matter what you are, where you come from, who you are, what you do, every single person is a sinner. And every single person is forgiven through Jesus Christ to accept that. So the, really, the, the equality we, we find, true equality is found in Jesus Christ. All are sinners, all can be saved. We're all equal. None of us are, are any better or worse or different. It's not that we're all saved. We have a pastor appreciation dinner every, usually every October, and we come together, and it's, it's the one Sunday a year I go in the front of the line and get food first. And I make a joke. And I go, yay, I'm going to eat all the pie. And everyone goes, hee, hee, hee. But really, I'm embarrassed because I, it's, I'm always afraid someone's going to look at me and think, he just wants to go in the front of the line because they, he thinks they're more important. And we do that all the time. Churches do that all the time. Frequently, people think that they should come to church and be treated different based on what they're wearing or what they have or how much they give. I, has, I, was, I watched this church once and it had a huge youth program. And a family came in and this family had a million children. I don't know what they were doing. They had a million children. And I, I kid you not, they wanted the entire youth program to change their schedule to accommodate their students. And they said, we bring the most students. And they said it with a straight face. So they were saying out loud in a meeting, I want everyone to change their schedule for me because I have more kids. And I laughed, but churches do it frequently. The churches in the, Old, in the New Testament, oftentimes they were, they were struggling with their, their time of communion because the wealthy thought they should be up front or during meals and banquets, the wealthy thought they should be up front. This is not something new. This isn't something that's gonna go away tomorrow. We struggle with how we deal with each other. It's just the, the case, but the truth is, and Paul is hinting this ever so subtly, he's saying all of us are equals in Jesus Christ. All of us, all of us are forgiven. For those who accept Jesus Christ, we were all sinners and we are now all saved. That's real equality. All right, let's read it one more time, we'll be done. We're gonna start in verse, I think that's 14. My, I, that's a tiny number. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through, the, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Now to whom, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is one of those passages, and I, I believe Paul has ADHD. I believe he flip-flops so quick. I think he's got so much to say that he's going back and forth, back and forth. And I, I believe, and we know this too, isn't it easier to have a conversation face-to-face? Especially, I, I can't stand having a conversation in text message or email. I'm like, I've got too many words for a text message. I've got, I've got to talk more. And my fingers start hurting when I email too long because no one wants to read my book. So I've always thought it's, it's I just want to do face-to-face. It's easier to get it all out. And I think this is what Paul is doing. He's got so much to say. He's got so much to talk to. The, this, is, this is the people he preached to, the Ephesus people. He wants to talk to them. He's got so much to say. And then right here in the middle of his, his book he's writing, he snaps out, and what he's doing is, is a prayer for the new believers. That's what, that's what Paul is talking about right here. It's simply, it's... It's a prayer. And what can I say here? I mean, he's, he's praying for strength. He's praying that they see that, that God can do anything. He's simply praying for the new believers. And this is, one of those, this is one of those pieces of Scripture that oftentimes you go, oh yeah, Paul's on a rant. But I look at this and I think to myself, Paul was writing to a body of believers that's considered a church. So as a, as a body of believers, we're a church too. And so w- what does this chunk have to do with us as a church? What Paul is doing is reminding us something very important, that we have got to be prayerful for the new believers. We've got to be prayerful for the new believers. And it's, it's, a, it's an idea we say. You know, we say these things. Oh yeah, we've got to pray, we've got to pray. We say them, but family, I, I've been in church for more years than I'm going to admit to out loud. And this is what happens. Let me, let, me, let me give you a very clear definition of what prayer in the church is like. Pray for me and my pain. Pray for my neighbor and their pain. Pray for me and my worries. Pray for my neighbor and their worries. Pray for me and my stresses. Pray for my neighbor and their stresses. Pray for the, the, the marriage. Pray for the jobs. Pray for the finances. Pray for the, the kids. And we get so caught up, and it's, it's normal. We, we're praying for things that are right in front of us. The things that we see, the things that we deal with, that's where we, we get, we focus all of our prayer on that and, and hear this, family. Don't say, Jerry is saying don't pray. I'm not saying that. Jesus was quite clear. He said, you bring everything through prayer and petition to God. So I'm not saying don't pray for those things. I'm not. We need to pray for our pain, our neighbor's pain, our stresses, our worries, our ups and downs. We need to share that with God. That's, that's 100% clear in Scripture. But we can't exclude a really important piece of our prayer time. And that is we need to be praying for the new believers and we need to be praying for those who have not heard of Jesus yet or have not made that decision yet. That's why Paul blurted this out in the middle of his passage. It's a prayer. As, as believers, part of our prayer, we should be constantly praying for those people who are making choices and they are new believers. We forget how often, we forget often how hard it is for a new believer to have such a drastic change in life. We forget that that someone had been living one direction for 40 years and they've said, I, I love Jesus, I want to be baptized, we forget sometimes that is a huge change for someone. 
We need to be constantly praying for their strength. We need to be praying for their mental well-being. We need to be praying for the people that they are surrounded by. It's, we forget these things because sometimes we just get so caught up in the here and now of what we see directly that we forget things that we don't see. You know, we pray for our mission group, especially like TCM. We, we pray, hey, I want, we, we want TCM to be blessed. We, we hope their teachers are blessed. We hope their finances are blessed. We hope their facilities are what they need. Why aren't we praying for when those, those missionaries that are teaching and learning what to do, we need to be praying for the group of people that they are going to go reach. We pray for Boise Bible College. Oh, God, give the, the teacher strength. Give the facility the right blessings. Take care of their money. Take care of the students there. But we also need to be praying also bless the people that those students are going to be coming in contact with. It should be part of our prayer. It shouldn't be something that we, we overlook or forget because life is tough. Life is hard. And it's easy to get overwhelmed with what we see right in front of us, that we exclude things that need to be prayed for. We need to be praying for those who are getting ready to make for a decision for Jesus. We need to be praying for those who have never heard about Jesus. These should be part of our prayer. And when you do that, what you're doing is exactly what Paul did. You're looking at someone, and you're saying, you're important. You're important to me because you're important to God. That's what Paul's doing. As our uh, band comes up to lead us in a song, a decision, a song, if you have a decision to make, I'm going to say, hey, come on, come on down. We'll welcome you with open arms. Hey, if you're watching online, you want to make a choice for Jesus, uh, get a hold of us. Uh, we're always around. We'll make it happen. We'll work with your schedule. If you're having a rough week, you want some prayer, maybe you feel like you're in prison with Paul, uh, we'll pray with you. No judgment. Won't look down on you. If you're online, you want some prayers, put that on your connection card. We look at them every single week. If it's confidential, please mark it. If you're a baptized believer, you want to be part of this, this body of believers, hey, come on down. We'll welcome you with open arms. Let's stand as we get ready to sing.
Tomorrow, as a nation, um, we're going to take some time, and, and we're going to—we're supposed to remember the fact that that we have soldiers that have loved this country so much, and they're so dedicated that they gave their lives in service. And so we'll we'll do different things. Each family is a little different. Um, a lot will go out and decorate the graves, and that's honorable. Some will have a, a barbecue, and they'll spend time together just celebrating this country. But what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to take some time to remember that. There are people that are willing to give their life to this country. And I think, honestly, as a church, we're used to this. You know, every Sunday we come together in, this, in the same idea that we come together and, and to remember the fact that Jesus gave his life for us to give us real freedom, freedom from, from sin that we couldn't get rid of. So we're, we're used to this. And in just a few seconds, we'll pray, and you'll come up, and you'll, you'll get your, your juice and your cracker. And it's the same time that we get to spend together remembering the fact that when Jesus said, I love you, he meant it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, Father, thank you for this nation, for these people, for our, our men and women that are willing to, to give their lives as necessary. God, as I ask you, as we take this communion, we, we don't overlook and don't forget and don't downplay what an amazing gift of sacrifice Jesus gave us. Thank you for that love. Thank you for that forgiveness. Jesus, and I pray. Amen.
hey, if you have your bulletins, you'll, you'll look and see some of the activities we have going on, uh, usual things tonight. Uh, today at 1220, they are having a men's ministry meeting. If you have any interest in, in being part of that, it's today at 1220 in the annex out there. Come, uh, Al's leading it. Come show up and, and check out what they're doing. Uh, otherwise, the normal things are going on. The office is closed on Monday, but they are still stitching. So if you're going to come and, and stitch up, have fun. Uh, Wednesday, normal features. Thursday, of course, is Al's Life Group. Saturday, if you don't have any plans, you should come. They're doing a pancake breakfast here. And then on the other side, you'll see things, like what they're collecting for Operation Christmas Child, the usual stuff. It's all there. But if you go in the back of your bulletin, you'll see a list of our praises and prayer concerns. There is a thank you note from Boise Bible College. You can, you can read that if you want. And for our special concerns, uh, this week, Kate Frank passed away. And uh, Kate and Bobby have been in second service for years. So uh, keep the Frank family in your prayers. And of course, it's nice to see some of our, our health concerns here. It always makes me happy to see the walking wounded. Keep our deployed troops in your prayer, especially during times where they know their families are getting together. It's, it's difficult, I can understand. Uh, please keep our shut-ins in a prayer. Uh, our outreach that we've been focusing on this month is the uh, local schools. Pray how we can reach them, how to help them, what we can do for them, and of course, Boise Bible College. Otherwise, what we'll do is we'll, we'll stand, we'll bow our heads for just a few moments, and I'll close this in prayer, and we will leave. Lord, thank you for this nation. Uh, thank you for this body of believers. Thank you for the men and women that are willing to put their lives on the line so that we do have the freedom to come here and tell people that we love you. Father, I'm thankful that we can, we can participate and, and do these activities that this church is trying to do, and I ask you to make it successful if that's your will. Lord, I, I, it's indescribable that you actually care about what hurts us and what we, we struggle with. And, and God, if it's your will... Will you provide miraculous healing for those who are injured? And if it's not your will, God, will you allow us to be stronger and, and learn to, to lean on you more? Father, I ask you to bless our soldiers as they're away. I ask you to, to bless our shut-ins who can't make it to church. Father, and the, and the groups that we support and that we try to team up with, God, I ask you to help us as a body of believers reach them. Lord, as we walk out this building, will you bless us with courage? Will you put someone in our path that needs to hear about you? And will you give us the courage to have us tell them about you? Thank you for loving us. Jesus, I pray. Amen.